0: Lovers, this is Mike Howell, and welcome to another episode of Anatomy of a Chef. You're in for a treat today. Chef Colin Bedford is England-born and bred, but moved to North America in 2000, specifically Canada over near Niagara Falls. And in 2005, he moved to North Carolina, so now he's a Tar Heel, an English Tar Heel. He joined the staff at the Farrington House, kind of a cool place. The Farrington House, in the land, it's a converted dairy farm. It's rich with beautiful gardens, dairy cows meandering all around, chicken coops where they get their fresh eggs for their ingredients. And they actually started a, a bee program, too. So they've got four hives, and he, they get 500 pounds of honey a year, out of four hives and depending on the type of year will depend on how the honey looks tastes, the consistency all that kind of cool stuff so depending on what it is or the time of year the honey is going to infuse different flavors into the the food that he creates pretty amazing when you walk up to the place it's got a big covered porch with chairs out there you can have a drink out there you can wait for your table just kind of gets you in the mood for a homemade meal inside this beautiful restaurant. And Chef Colin kind of walks you through when you walk in the front door and what you can expect. And it's a big old fireplace. So in the wintertime, the fireplace is going on. It's just, sounds like an amazing, amazing place. Chef Colin, this guy, he dropped a few cooking bombs that were just amazing. John Lee Dumas calls them value bombs. I'm going to call them cooking bombs. We talked about... Soup, a corn soup and making soup and braising short ribs and cooking rabbit and how he cooks rabbit and what have you. All kinds of really cool, interesting techniques using really cool tools in the kitchen of just a wealth of information. He has so many great tips to shoes and socks and everything else. And get this, this guy is training for not for his first or second or third, but his multiple Ironman triathlons is coming up he's in the middle of training training that today and when I before I talked to him he swam two miles and ran eight miles or something for a training session with him and his buddy and he'll talk a little bit about that too but this guy is really cool got the English accent as well kind of puts you in the right mood great conversation I had a great time I hope you guys have a great time listening to it as, as much as I did recording it and I know I say that all the time but this is so much fun and I hope You guys listening to this stuff have as much fun listening to it as I do while doing this because I'm really having a great time. So now, may I present to you Chef Colin Bedford?
1: Hello, Chef
2: Colin.
0: Thank you for coming on the show. How are you doing today?
1: I'm doing very well, thank you. Excellent. I was kind of—I don't mean to mean to sound kind of weird—but I was kind of looking on the internet for stuff about you and what you've been up to and those kinds of things and I read something that was kind of interesting that in your cooking that you're inspired by the seasons and we're kind of we're kind of rolling out of summertime and I was curious what did you create on the menu that sold well there at the restaurant and what was your inspiration behind it?
2: Um... Being in North Carolina, just just uh, just outside Chapel Hill, um, we have a very good resource of uh, local purveyors, and mm-hmm. kind of throughout, kind of throughout the area. And um, rabbit is a very very popular dish. Every single time we put it on the menu, but is is, is rabbit going to go? And then all of a sudden we're kind of um, um, you know ordering more it seems a very popular dish and it goes rabbit i'm a big fan of with uh sweet corn and mustard and then especially especially when the chanterelles come in um that's kind mm-hmm. of one of my uh, favorite um dishes to pair throughout the season tomatoes i love tomatoes but the, you know they're they're a, they're a go-to for a lot of people and mm-hmm. um when you when you come to the restaurant I try and stay off the beaten track a little bit and kind of do something a little bit different.
1: Oh, cool. Cool. So when you um, cook the rabbit, do you typically braise it or do you roast it? or um... No.
2: So the way we go about preparing the rabbit is we actually take it off the um, – we leave it whole and kind of debone it. And okay. we leave the saddle. And then we actually comfy the leg and then we – um, make a torsion out of the leg. I know it sounds very long winded, but um, that's
1: okay. It, 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 and
2: it's then, And then we um, wrap it around the belly. We kind of wrap around the loin and the comfy And then we have a, lo- a great local bacon provider, and then we wrap it in bacon. And then we uh, we poach it in a water bath,
1: hmm. um,
2: so so it stays. Um, because obviously rabbit's very lean, so it stays. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't dry out, and then we roast it in a pan, so you get those two um, contrasting textures from the nice seared, crispy bacon to the to the soft rabbit.
1: Oh, okay, okay. And how do you treat the sweet corn? Um, you know, sweet corn's a. <laughs> People love sweet corn, but from a chef's standpoint,
2: it can get very difficult. It can just take you down certain avenues. Um, sometimes it's difficult to plate because it kind of falls uh, ne- not necessarily where you want it to, but um, mm. I love sweet corn puree. We'll make a sweet corn babawa where it's kind of room temperature and it kind of holds up a little bit. Um, mm. And then we um, um, we make like a, a sweet corn milk where we once we take all the kernels off, we scrape the um the husk um and then you get all those starches um that come out and then we actually juice the corn and then we reduce it and then and then we reduce it with a touch of vanilla vanilla and corn always go well um thyme which is one of my favorite kind of all year round go-to herbs um Mm -hmm. it can go sweet and savory um and then you just get those floral elements from the vanilla that really kind of bring out the, uh, the corn.
1: Oh, interesting. Would you do the same thing to corn when you're making uh, maybe corn soup? Um, you can do. I wouldn't necessarily
2: juice it. I would just shuck the corn, scrape the corn, and then make. before I make the soup, I would actually make a corn stock. So I would boil all the corn, make a stock, and then make my soup from that, so you've got you're using everything, which is one thing I like to do, um, mm-hmm. and you're trying to get as much flavor into that dish as possible.
1: Got gotcha. you. Would you boil the corn with the kernels cut off of it, or the kernels and everything, and then cut the kernels off after you've made the stock?:
2: uh, I would remove the kernels first, gotcha. then then scrape it so you get all that extra. Um, goodness out, um, flavor, um, versus, uh, doing it or doing it, bef- uh, cooking it whole and then, and then cutting the
1: kernels off. Oh, okay. Cool. I'm I, you got me on that trail because actually we're going to make corn soup this weekend and it's okay. That we, that we corn soup.
2: Across. I'm sorry. Soups go ahead. Soups in general, soups in general are not the kitchen sink. My parents are visiting me from England right now and, uh. Mom was like, "I want to make a vegetable soup. I want to do this one, this one, this vegetable. This, but I'm like, stop, 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 stop. (laughs) Soups are not kitchen sinks. And normally, when I make um, any soup, I take the main ingredient, um, and then half of the main ingredient, I just do onion, and then half of the onion, I'll do celery." And then half of the celery, I'll do fennel and, and uh, some garlic. That's it. So, like, incrementally, you know, onions always taste great. Um, but then you've got double the amount of corn, so you get a corn soup. Mm. So, and then the other, then the other <laughs> thing I like to do also is add a little bit of um, risotto rice. That, oh, um, really? Helps. Yeah, I don't like to add potatoes. Um, to soups as a as a thickener just just because it gets it can get very gluey if you happen to put a couple of too many potatoes in there, but um, you know i I will put a um, half cup of uh, risotto rice in there, and then before I blend it, I'll remove some of the stock just because you can always add you can never take away right and um, once you once you've blended your soup and it's it's uh, a little bit too runny then you're kind of um, stuck oh. with the running soup.
1: Yeah. Now, when you were explaining the half onion, half celery, half fennel, is the, the onion, is that the, half the quantity of the corn? Yeah, so uh,
2: if you had, had 1,000 grams of corn, you would have 500 grams of onion, then you would have 250 grams gotcha. of celery, gotcha and then 125 grams of fennel, and then just, um, you know, four or five cloves of garlic.
1: Gotcha. That's, I'm glad you said something about the rice, because my wife was um, talking about throwing, like, Yukon gold potatoes in there to thicken it up. Right. And it just gets gluey, and then it gets heavy,
2: and uh, rice, is, uh, rice, rice helps out for sure.
1: Oh, cool. Thanks. That was a nice, nice little helpful hint there. That's awesome. No worries. Awesome. Can you kind of uh, take the listeners through when they show up at Farrington Restaurant and they kind of walk in the door, What what are the senses that they have? What are they going to see? What are they going to hear? What are they going to smell? For someone who's never been there before, can you kind of take us through what the establishment kind of feels like and looks like? Yes, sure. Um, Well,
2: Farrington is built on an old dairy farm. Um, So now we have the village center, which is a very charming um, little village center where we have bookstores and um, we have a spa and it's all, you navigate through the whole village on these red brick paths so oh. as you pull into the village center you kind of drive in between the two main pastures located on the right and the left and um we have we could call belted galloway cows um mm. but they but they look like an oreo cookie they have a white head um <laughs> and then they uh, a, uh, uh sorry they have a black head a black back and then this white band that goes around the middle we also have a chicken coop on the on the left as you kind of drive up through where we have all our eggs and then you park, and then you walk through these beautiful uh, gardens um, <clears throat> down this red brick path, which leads you up to the, to, the, to the main house. It's got four massive pillars, um, which hold up a porch, which has chairs that you can sit in on a, on a great afternoon and have a, have a glass of champagne or a cocktail. And then nice. when you open up the front door, as you walk in, it's like you would be walking into somebody's home. There's no oh, – wow. so all you see and, – and there's two smells. There's the fall and winter smell, and then there is the spring and summer. So the as we're in summer, we have a staircase that goes up, and then we also – right next to the staircase, uh, we have a beautiful arrangement of flowers, this, and this time of year – you know the smells are wonderful then when you when you look right we have a a seating area with a fireplace now the fall and the winter that's when the fireplace comes in which is one of my favorite smells is um, you know the old the old fireplace and yeah. then when you turn to the, and then when you turn to the left you will be greeted by a um, hostess or uh, our maitre d' Um, and then we have a wonderful bar with some great, great um, selections of, of bourbons and, and whiskeys and ryes. And um, we also have a collaboration, and we have our own beer that changes seasonally. Also, so oh
1: nice.
2: So when you walk into the, when you walk immediately straight into the restaurant, what we try and do is, is we just try and make you set at ease. Um, mm-hmm. And we just try and make you feel like you're coming into our home. And then when you finally, when you finally um, once the maitre d' escorts you to the table, there is a charger, a napkin, and a water glass. Um, so we try and take, you know, it's very clean, it's very uh, minimalistic. Because um, we have lots of different diners that come to us right? Mm-hmm. So we have someone that's saved up all year that wants their, um, anniversary or birthday, or we have someone that, uh, knows Relay and Chateau that is very familiar with all the, uh, the standards. And, um, and then, and then you also, you know, one, one of the reasons why, um, we, uh, kind of took a lot of things, all the, the china off the table and things like that, because it's sometimes just intimidating. Yeah, um, for, people,
1: for some people it is.
2: And, and, <laughs> and my dad came into the restaurant, and I didn't give him any menus. I didn't give my parents any menus. And, and my dad was like, so what flatware do I use first? What cutlery do I use first? <laughs> and I said to him, Dad, just just start from the outside, and when food comes to the table, just grab the, the, the closest cutlery to you and and you know it's like I say when you have all these wine glasses on the table, so we took all that away. So you sit down, and then you get presented a uh, a wonderful seasonal menu, and then the uh, the, the servers will uh, navigate you through the uh, through the rest of your evening.
1: Oh, that's awesome! That sounds like a great place. Are you? I'm not familiar with. I, I think Chapel Hill is kind of a. Um, Touristy place or is it not? I'm not real familiar with that area. But do you get a lot of tourist traffic or is it mo- mostly local people that that come very often? Um, we actually get a little bit of both. I wouldn't. Nec- I mean, I wouldn't necessarily say it's
2: there is some um, tourist traffic, but Chapel Hill is a college town. UNC is, you know, mm-hmm. slap bang in the middle of Chapel Hill. We're about 15 minutes south of that. Um, oh, okay. but, we also, but we also have 32 rooms here. Oh, okay. So, being a part of the Relais and Chateau Association, um, we have something which is called the Route de Bonheur, where we link up a lot of different hotels in the south. So, oh,
1: okay. from
2: here, and so from here, you can probably, you know, we have, I would say, four maybe four stroke five relay properties within a four hour drive, so people like to you know as they drive down the east coast, they kind of stay in each um property and the cool thing about relay and chateau is one thing that I always like is you know it's really it really does the area justice where you're mm. where you're located, so we're based on a farm like that individual touch is one thing that we that we will never change. It's very charming. It's a very elegant village which it's on a dairy farm. Right? right. So I mean we have cows roaming around. We don't eat the cows. <laughs> I just wanna just we, we do cows. not eat the cows. Um, <laughs> but but that's but that's one thing that Relay does very well. It really does kind of let the the properties the property's destination really speak for itself
1: sounds wonderful the pictures on the web for those listening you got to go out and check out the web the web page because the pictures are just beautiful the the property it's really really it's very serene and very calming just a really nice place like most it, places. It, yeah it's it reminds you of an english countryside
2: we have a oh, we we have heard? a um, we have a big knot garden which is located just outside the restaurant um and, you know, we've, we've won awards for our gardens, and it kind of, that really, when you talk about coming to dinner at Farrington, that really kind of sets the pace for the entire evening.
1: Mm-hmm. You're
2: walking through wonderful gardens, you know, at dusk time, you've got fireflies going off, you know, and um, it, it, just, it just really sets the, uh, sets the tone, and then you look over the uh, cow pasture, and it's just very relaxing.
1: Yeah, big time. I can see that for sure. For sure, you mentioned uh, the bar and the spirits that you serve, and different bourbons and ryes and, and those kinds of things. Something else uh, that I saw—an um, interview question that you answered—and Pappy Van Winkle popped up. And if you're a fan of bourbons and whiskeys and such, Pappy Van Winkle is one of the kind of one of the enigmas out there that everybody searches for but can can never find. And sure. I was just, I was curious and how you came about it, how, when was the last time you had it? Last time I had it was like two years ago at a wedding reception and the bar happened to have Uh, a bottle of it. I
2: actually, I was very fortunate. Um, I do an event once a year in Kiowa and um, I actually had last year, I can't remember the years, but I had three. Back to back. Oh
1: no, um, kidding!
2: I think it might have been. I don't want. I can't. I, I honestly, I can't remember the years. But um, I was very fortunate and uh, to be able to not only taste one, but taste three and make a comparison between the three. Oh and, my God. Uh, Yeah. So I was a very lucky boy that night. But um, we do. We we do have uh, pappy in the restaurant every now and again. Um, you know, uh, like you said, it's dust like gold dust, and um, yeah. every now and again, we're able to get. Um, I believe each state has a certain allocation, um, mm-hmm. and then once that state has the allocation, um, it obviously comes down to where it's going to drop within the state, and um, we have we have a good rapport with some dis- with distributors, so uh, it's. It's it's roll of the dice. If you know about Pappy Van Winkle, then um, you you are well aware of the fact that you might not have some for a year, and then you could have two bottles in six months. So, right. Um, but we have had it on the uh, on the list, um, and no one ever quibbles about the price because it is Pappy Van Winkle.
1: Yeah, exactly. That's very true. And for those listening who've never who aren't into that kind of stuff, but um, a couple years ago, good friends of ours got married, and the gentleman um, that we were kind of driving around, it was friends of the people we never met before, but we hit it off, and he was, we've got a BevMo um, stores out here, and he's like, let's go see if they've got a Pappy, and the people were like, no, we haven't seen that in years, and California is such a big state, and... There's a lot of distributors or big distributors with a lot of places for it to go. So if, if you go out there and just want to go to, to a liquor store and pick it up, you're not going to find it. It's it's very, very difficult. And when you do find it, it's very, very expensive. And it's pretty good. It's pretty good stuff. It's pretty good. We actually picked up a bottle of Jefferson Reserve, which is a Kentucky bourbon. That turned right. to right. It turned out to be extremely. We're we're big Woodford drinkers, and we found this and thought we'd try it. And this is even better than Woodford, though, That we think it's very very smooth. So if you if you have that or have not tried it, that's something to look into as well. Yeah, I, and
2: I I like um, you know I like the Basil Hayden of the world and I like the Blantons of the world. Um, oh okay. Um, so every now and again, um, I like to enjoy. Um, a bourbon, but not currently, as I'm I'm training for an Ironman. But uh, I try and stay right. off, off the alcohol off for the, the moment.
1: Stay off the juice, <laughs> if you exactly. will. Exactly, for sure, for sure. When you're in the kitchen, other than a sharp knife, what kitchen tool can you not live with, and why? Oh, wow!
2: That's 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 a that's a that's a great, that, that's a great question. Um, I would have to say it would be very difficult. Um, there's a couple of things. One I actually have at my house and I also have at work, and that's a Vita Prep. These high power um, blenders are the go to of so many different things you can do for it. Um, uh-huh. For the texture of, of a puree that you're about to put on a plate and you need that super smooth. I'm a very texturally driven individual anyway, in regards to mm-hmm. to food. Um, but uh, a vita prep would be my go-to, and also, if I can have another option, would be a circulator. Um, and you know, these have been around for a while, and uh, I do believe that they work on a domestic level and obviously in the kitchen. They're very consistent. Um, there's The only error you really get is if you, uh, you have a power outage. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but they're very consistent. They dial in to what you need. If you've got 10 members of staff, if you've got five members of staff, you now have six members of staff and you have 11. They go all night. Um, <laughs> you can get some very consistent product. They don't answer back. They show up on time, um, and it's just generally a very good product. And in regards to life in general, people's lives are getting busier and busier, and food and nutrition is something that is very, very important. And it doesn't seem like certain aspects of life don't move at the same pace as your life in general. If you have kids, if you have a family, if you have an active life, and a circulator having it at home and you're able to batch cook, it just makes things so much easier. You could have, you know, 12 chicken breasts in your fridge ready, ready to go at all times. You can make chicken salad. You can throw it on a grill. You can, you can just put it in a sandwich. Like, they're, they're very, very
1: useful. Can you kind of briefly explain what a circulator does for people that don't know? Of course. Um, It's been around for a
2: long time. What it does is you cook in a body of water. So um, you can dial in the temperature which you need. So if you're going to cook a medium-rare steak, you would set your circulator to, and this is Celsius, folks, this is Celsius, (laughs) um, 57.5, you know, 59, Mm -hmm. depending on... um, how you like your steak to be cooked, and this, the, um, and you cook it in a bag. So you would reduce oxygen, or you could put it in a Ziploc bag, realistically, and then wrap mm-hmm. it in some plastic wrap so, you, so uh, you get good contact. And then you would cook it for an hour. Oh, okay. And then you remove it, you, you, you would remove it, and then um, you would sear it in a pan, and then you've got perfect medium rare. Um, oh, right. You can cook, yeah, so it's very, very consistent, um, sous vide is something which has helped a lot of kitchens, um, and it's very helpful if you know what to do with it.
1: For sure. Well thanks for explaining that for people. Some people call it a sous vide, some people call it a circulator, so I just didn't want people to
2: get so the cir- So the circulator is a piece of equipment, sous vide is the style of cooking. Oh, gotcha. Thank you. So, so sous vide means un, uh, under pressure, because uh, normally in a lot of kitchens you would put it in a backpack machine. Um, that's why when I said you you could put it in a Ziploc bag and wrap it in mm. um, plastic wraps, so you would remove all the air. Because obviously if you've got a steak in a bag that's floating around with a lot of air in it and there's not direct contact with the water, your steak's not going to cook consistently. Mm-hmm. So... 2 beads is in a bag under pressure, and a circulator is a heater and a water pump that just moves the water around in a vessel.
1: Gotcha. Perfect. Thank you for that as well. My mistake there. Sure. Oh, cool, cool. I also read that, I've been reading up on you, buddy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> one, of your, one of your favorite things to cook is comfort food, and one is braised short rib, and it's my, one of my favorites as well. And I was curious if you would share your technique for doing uh, braised short rib. Of course.
2: Um, believe it or not, I'm just writing the Thanksgiving menu um, in oh, the middle of August. So, <laughs> and, and I'm trying something different. I'm actually going to treat short rib almost like pastrami, um, oh, which I've never done before. And... So I have put it into a backpack bag. I have cooked it for a long period of time. Um, however, I would say that's not necessarily something that I would like to do because I think I think there's certain expectations when you eat certain types of food, like a short rib. You would expect to be able to pull it apart with a fork. Yes. You would, and and there's many different cooking methods out there, and it's each to their own. However, like you said, I like to cook comfort food, and short ribs are wonderful. Um, served just very simply with mashed potatoes. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm, and, um, so we would. Put them in a brine, the short ribs, um, for probably about 12 hours. Uh, Then we would sear them and put them into a braising pan. You could also put them into a crock pot too. I haven't Mm -hmm. never cooked them in a crock pot, but, um, you know, you have a low and a high setting. I think either one, you would probably, I think you would be able to get there. Uh, I'm a little bit old school, so we'll cover it and uh, and we'll braise it in the oven. Um, until it's kind of um, cake skewer tender, which Mm. you're looking at maybe three to four hours, just low and slow. Right. Um, And it's... The most important thing is is to let it go cold in the liquid it's cooking.
1: Oh, no kidding.
2: Uh, Well, if you think about it, heat expands, cold retracts. Right. If you... Remove the short rib and you put it on a plate and you pop it in your fridge. As it gets cold, it's just going to draw in cold air in your fridge and realistically dry it out. However, if you you let it go cold in the braising liquid, all it's going to do is just suck up all that flavor. Mm. So that's why I like to um, either do bone-in or bone out, um, bone in, you know, you can pick it up, and if the bone kind of twists easily, you're pretty much almost there. But, however, either way, I still like to let um, all braised meats, for that matter, if I'm doing pork shanks, if I'm doing pork cheeks, or um, any of that, I always like to let it go cold in the liquid that it's braised in. Lamb shoulder,
1: Mm. same thing would you just leave it on the counter or would you actually put it in the refrigerator and let it get cold in there, or does it not matter? Um, I would
2: probably let it um, cool on the counter um, for maybe an hour or so, two hours. Um, You could also, to speed things up, because it's not going to make any difference at this point, you could fill a Ziploc bag with ice, throw that in to help with the aid of cooling. Mm. Um, You could also... You could also put, like, an ice pack if you've got some in your fridge, in your freezer, that you could just drop in there. Just because your domestic home fridge isn't big enough to be able to, you know, kill uh, that faster, and you're just going to make your fridge work warm uh, work harder, and you're going to warm up the fridge, and it's just right. going to work, take longer to cool down. But, you know, a Ziploc bag of ice or an ice pack will, will, will do the trick.
1: Yeah, good point. Good tips. You're just full of good tips. That's awesome. Cool. Oh, when you're when it's in the braising pan, is it in the pan with just carrots and onions and potatoes, and you use a beef stock, or or the yeah branny? so basic
2: uh, basic mirepoix, which is um, your carrots, your onions, your celery. I wouldn't use potatoes because when they break down, your um, your stock is going to get cloudy. So well, what I would do is I would sear off the short rib if you're in a braising pan, stir it off, get a great caramelization on the outside,
1: mm-hmm.
2: then stir then caramelise your vegetables, deglaze the red wine okay. and what I mean by that is is you get all those nice caramelization off the bottom of the pan, all the nice little charred bits of uh, beef that are kind of stuck on the bottom of the pan, that will all release. However, you need to reduce it. Now, this is going to take. um, This is a big mistake that um, I would say quite a few people make in regards to reducing wine. You Mm -hmm. need to wait until it hits the the sweet spot, as it were. Now, you put any wine in a pan. When it comes to boil, smell it immediately. It's going to smell like vinegar. It's going to smell very acidic. Now, when you get halfway through that it will smell sweeter. Mm. Once it hits the the sweeter smell, then that's when you add your stock. You want to have enough stock so whatever you're braising is actually covered. Again, oh,
1: okay.
2: so you would, if you need to weight it down, you weight it down, just so it's even and consistent cooking.
1: Gotcha, those are awesome tips. Good stuff. I'm going to circle back to the Ironman training. You mentioned earlier and before we started recording the call that you're training for an Ironman. And I was kind of interested in what got you interested in doing an Ironman as opposed to just going for a century bike ride on a particular Saturday afternoon or, or whatever. And what does your schedule look like trying to train for something like that?
2: Difficult. <laughs> um,
1: to say the least.
2: <laughs> uh, when I was younger, uh, I used to swim quite a bit, and then I stopped swimming because I swam. I mean when you swim when you're a kid, I mean you spend more time in the swimming pool, you do your own bed so i kind of it kind of got boring to the part of where I said to my parents, "I don't want to do this anymore." Hmm. So then I started playing football, so I was constantly running and um And I used to bike a little bit. However, as I got older, especially in this career. I like to stay active, you know, I think it's important for the, for for your, for your brain, for your thought process, for your inspiration, for all that. And I would, I would drive to the gym 25 minutes, 30 minutes, and I would work out, talk to a few people. And then before I knew it, it was almost a two hour trip and Mm -hmm. I only worked out for an hour so I could run out my front door or I could take a bike and go straight out the front door and ride for an hour and be back home. Now, why did I want to do an Ironman? I don't know. I just I think it's very important <laughs> that um, you have a work-life balance and a focus. And this focus that I've I've been cooking for, what am I now, 39? I've been cooking for almost 23 years. Wow. And this training... And also the camaraderie. I played a lot of young sports. I played a lot of sports when I was younger and played football, played rugby. And now the biggest thing that I missed was the camaraderie. And even though doing triathlons and Ironmans and half Ironmans and all that, it's, a, it's, it's on race day, even though you're out there on your own, you know, and my last half Ironman, I ran in with a friend who was in bad shape and you don't think second about the, your time that could be helping him or not helping him. Mm. And when we train, we're out. We train together. We bike together. We run together. We swim together. And so for someone who misses that camaraderie, I get it back now. And it's, and right. it's, and it's wonderful. Like today, for instance, I swam two miles, and I had an easy run on a treadmill just because it's so hot. In North Carolina right now, um, mm-hmm. but training the work life balance, I think of ideas when i 'm staring at the bottom of a pool for five thousand meters. i've got nothing else to do, so I look at the bottom of the pool and I can <laughs> think about things and, there, and there's a lot of clarity that comes with that, or if I 'm out riding a century there again when it when the pain when you're numb to the pain, you st- I start thinking about work, and some of my ideas come from that. And it's a little bit tough sometimes when late nights aren't conducive to early mornings, but I'm a bear with a sore head if I don't get out and I'm able to train because it's, it's an everyday – it's a lifestyle, right? I mean, Yeah, big time. It's it's not, oh, I might do this or I might do that. No, I have to get up today and I've got to ride 45 miles. I have to run 18 miles. I have to do whatever is on my training schedule. So it's a lifestyle. It's like brushing your teeth. Um, yeah. Yeah. So it fits into, uh, how, how does it fit into my work schedule? If I'm up early, um, I might respond to emails at home. Um, and then when I get to work, um, we have a lot of, Barrington, we have a lot of different food uh, food outlets here. I oversee five food outlets that has their own manager under each roof, but that still takes coordination. We have weddings here. We have um, we have a casual dining. Then we also have fast casual dining, where we have a pizza um, mm. a pizza shack, and we also have a deli. Um, and then also, obviously, we have the fine dining restaurant. So. There's meetings, there's plan, There's there's meetings that we have on a weekly basis um, where we have weddings. We do a lot of weddings. It's our downtime right now in August, but we're getting ready to change some serious gears
1: um, yeah.
2: into the fall because it's, mo- it's It's beautiful weather. So yeah. we have a lot of weddings in that regard. Um, I think people's lives go back to no- uh, a little bit more of a normality if they have children. You know the children are back to school, so in the middle of September after Labor Day, like we can't compete with the beach, we can't compete with the mountains. Right, So It takes right. a little. It, t- it takes a little while for families to get back into their routine, and then uh, and then we get very busy. So um, I have managers in re- in respective areas that oversee some culinary development, and um, we work together. I think ownership and accountability in this business is 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 super important. Chefs aren't difficult people. They just want to cook food for individuals and just hear the feedback. You know, right. we just want people to enjoy the creations that that we make. It's no different than any home cook out there
0: that mm-hmm. has a dinner
2: party that all they want to do is have people, people enjoy the food which they cook. Right. That's no different than any chef. We just do it on a different level. Right. And in volume, um, and obviously with the nucleus of ingredients that we have at, have at our disposal also.
1: For sure. It's one of the reasons why I decided to um, ramp up this podcast is because you guys, you, don't, you work really hard, long hours, sometimes weeks without days off, to create really good food for the rest of us to enjoy. And not only that, but it's, more times than not, it's consistently good over and over and over again. In, in my mind, you all don't get the credit that you deserve for the hard work that you put in. You don't get enough feedback, I don't think, from diners. And when we're out and something is really good, and I'll even say to the server, please tell the chef that this is amazing, I'm hoping and praying that they're going to relay that back to the chef. And they're not going to get called off to do their two different tables and totally forget all about it. Because you right. like, like anybody else, especially... I know, I'm not going to put you in the, in the same category as an entertainer, but it's, it's almost that that the feedback charges you and makes you do what you do and really fuels the fire for doing what you do. It's good feedback. and it's no
2: Oh, different 100%.
1: Than, yeah. It's no different than someone, a Broadway actor on a play, on a stage, getting, or a comic getting laughs for what they're saying. It's, you, you need the feedback to keep the momentum going for sure and and that and that's very true and also
2: one thing that i learned at a very early age at taking over as an executive chef you can't do this on your own no this is such a team environment and um hopefully when you know young cooks move their way up through the ranks there is some instant gratification when i do go out into the dining room and, and thank our guests um or if somebody wants to happen to see the chef hopefully i'm like are they, they got to frown on their face just good or bad, smiling? like why do they want to see me um but uh but no i you know and that's that's the first thing i say you know there's a lot of boys and girls running around the kitchens here at farrington that um that uh I can't do my job without any of them, and I think that goes for a lot of executive chefs in yeah. yes. throughout this industry that they cannot do their jobs without their team and mm-hmm. that's getting even more apparent in this in our industry because restaurants uh there's a lot of influx of restaurants, the labor pool is getting smaller um, so it's very difficult. And that's one thing which I've learned over the past couple of years in regards to mentoring and giving people ship, giving ownership and giving accountability to the people that need it and trying to, pro, trying to promote the thought of a work-life balance. That is, This industry is very, it's an unobtainable goal in some regards, and we have to move with the times, you know, like you said, chefs you know when you say you're a chef oh you work long hours there is baggage with our industry and yeah. and it's very it's very difficult time times are changing and we have to try and maintain standards and it's and it is a very difficult challenge to be able to balance that in our industry right now and maintain standards
1: why do you why do you think that the the available pool of talent is is shrinking? Is is there any indication of what's causing that, and where you're having a hard time finding really good people or finding people in general?
2: Yeah, yeah. I just think it i it's the amount of restaurants that are opening.
1: I oh, mean, okay. I, I'm,
2: like I'm not sure where I'm not sure where you live or where the listeners are are, are listening to, but I mean, think about how many restaurants pop up. I mean, you could just drive down the street, locked, and and there are people out there that want to go down the fine dining route, um, and there are also people that want to go into casual dining, and Mm. so it's very difficult. We're very fortunate that we actually have multiple um, experiences here, whether it's the casual aspect, the fine dining aspect. So... Having the younger generation come here and work, it's a very—they get they get exposed to a lot of different avenues, which is exciting in that in in our regards also.
0: Yeah, well,
1: especially if you if you enjoy teaching teaching those folks as well. Speaking of which, what what advice would you give for someone who's a maybe a new culinary graduate coming out of culinary school and he's you know tens of thousands of dollars in debt? He's like, I'm going to be the executive chef next week. <laughs> Do you have any oh, specific advice for these guys yeah. or gals? Yeah, I think patience
2: is something which is a very good quality that you need to to have to come into this business. Um, mm. TV's done some great things for, for our business, and it's also done some, some not-so-good things for our business, but patience is something... Which is very important. Now, going back to this little bit of a struggle in our in our industry, um, someone said to me, "It's the video game mentality." And what I mean by that is, and I was very taken back by. I was like, "What? what is this? What, what does that even mean?" Right. And,
1: exactly. I was just thinking the same and, thing.
2: And it's. I've done this, I need to get to the next level.
1: I've done oh. this,
2: I need to get to the next level. And and I think in regards to patience, it's getting good at what you do. It seems like okay, I can sear a piece of fish. I can break a halibut down. I can I can butcher this piece of salmon. I can Okay, what's next? Okay. Well, well let's let's look at what you did. Can you get better? there's it's like practicing it's like soccer players or you know they spend countless hours out on the field hitting a ball in in one area i want right. to hit it up in the i want to hit it up in the top right angle when i get a, when i'm in free kick range i want to be able to put that ball in the top right hand corner
1: hmm.
2: and they practice and they practice and they practice it's okay i've done that what's next and that's one right. thing okay. that that someone said to me that has really kind of resonated and I try and get that across to the younger generation. I'm like, listen, you need to understand, you need to practice, you need to hone your skills. This is a business which, one, this is, this is a career, one of the reasons why I got into it is because I like that, that, okay, you got a bag of flour. Three hours later, you have a loaf of bread. Right. i like, I like that, oh, you've got a 45-pound halibut. An hour later, you're searing off a beautiful, iconic, five-ounce piece, piece of golden fish. I'd like that raw material through-to-finished product. That's one thing which always, I think, inspired me and, and kept me going and I think that that's something which the younger generation needs to kind of really, patience is, patience is something which takes time. Yeah. And you are going to have bad days. And when you have the good days, that makes them even better.
1: Right. Um, <laughs> that's, true.
2: that's very true. And, and, then the, and then the two other things is a good pair of shoes. That might sound silly but you're on your feet all day long. Um, try and afford the best pair of shoes you can possibly uh, uh, get your hands on, and then a good bed, a good mattress. Sometimes, sometimes people don't think of these things because you spend a long time in your shoes and you don't spend very long in bed. So on both of those, you need to maximize the effect, either on your feet or your back. Um <laughs> <laughs> so, um, that's true. That's and and to be real, uh, the 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 quote which you know my boss always told me when I was when I was younger, he was like, "You need to understand when your friends are having fun, you're probably working."
1: Mm.
2: That is weekends, holidays, nights. Um, but that's the that's that's the career path we chose, right? So, right. um, yeah, you know, uh, that is a little bit of baggage with the job, but however, it's a very rewarding job. The highs of going through a service and the adrenaline and the com- again, the camaraderie of teamwork. I don't think you can get as easily in other jobs, quite honestly. Yeah,
1: no, I, I agree with you. You probably can't, That that's, that's great advice what kind of um what kind of shoes did you recommend if you if you could had expense was not a problem you could go out and buy any pair of shoes for your line of work what would they be um,
2: wow well, uh, I like a slip on shoe I actually like a boot um, Oh, okay i I've, I've actually seen some pretty pretty bad um accidents in kitchens with uh, footwear. Um, You've got to protect your feet from oil, from... um, But however, you know, each each to their own. But it's not necessarily... I'm six foot four. So, also, I don't need platforms where a lot of clogs out there, as it were, as a style of shoe, I would be banging my head on, on pans that hang on the ceiling or door frames or... You know, shelving just because I don't need to be six foot seven. Um, right. Even though those shoes are very good, you know, they align your back. Um, however, I there's there's a there's a, a silent hero that I don't think a lot of people um, uh, really. I think they think it's old fashioned, um, but compression. There is not a day I come to work where I don't wear compression socks.
1: Oh, no kidding. Interesting. Yep.
2: Um, I have set uh, SCP sports. Um, like do an Ironman, too. I wear calf sleeves. I use... Um, I don't think in, in Medi, I don't think, which is the same company, but, yeah, I don't come to work without wearing them. And I think that a lot of people don't... Sometimes me one of them you know uh, you would see the older generation hence knickers and golfers i mean that's how long it goes back right when you have a long pair of socks
1: Um, right right
2: however they they are a lifesaver and it keeps blood pumping it gets the blood out of your feet you're not so tired um i've already had one surgery on my leg um Mm. That, that standing on your feet is uh, that's that's a very big part of this job. So shoes yeah. and socks get into compression. It is not. It is for our generation. It is for someone who is on their feet. And like I said to you, I do not come to work without my compression. I will turn around if I. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've got so many bags in my truck from swim gear to bike gear to work stuff. If I what do not have Compression. I will drive home to
1: get it. Wow, you're the first one that's ever mentioned that before, and I'm surprised that more chefs don't wear that kind of stuff because it just makes perfect sense. It really does. I mean, I was talking to a chef last week, and he just got off the day before. He was on his feet for like 14 hours. It was it's it's crazy, and that's great advice.
2: Yeah, that is not, yeah, that's not uncommon
1: for I know chefs it's to be, yeah. yeah,
2: and I think, I think if more chefs could, um, uh, like I said, I'm not, you know, it's socks up to your knees, or even sometimes I have, I have full, I have full compression, I have, like, full-on leggings, if I know I'm going into a busy weekend, or, and, and to be honest with you, you can take this into everyday life, getting on an airplane, yeah. um, see people would be like oh i'll wear compression on an airplane well why is that well that helps with circulation it doesn't make my feet swell up well okay that's exactly the same thing as when you stand on your feet for 12 hours right um, so it's exactly it's exactly the same um and it and you know it's like i said putting compression on is like i like i said earlier on it's a routine it's like me brushing my teeth yeah. um it's
0: amazing.
2: i can't i can't comb my hair i don't have any but um it's a second. It's it's a very it's a very uh, second place for sure.
1: Yeah, for sure, for sure. What is the best lesson your father ever taught you?
2: Oh, that's easy. However, Was it's it... not really conducive to 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 this day and age. Um, you can only make a first impression once. Oh, very good. And when you when you shake someone's hand. It needs to be firm, but don't squeeze their hand and look them in the eye. Now, when it comes to first impressions in this day and age, that's an email. You know, you don't get face-to-face anymore until you're you know, four or five steps down the road. If you make it through the first email, if you make it through the phone interview, if you make it through this, you make it that, then you get to the first uh, face-to-face. But that's something that's always resonated Um, you know, looking someone in the eye, firm handshake and, um, you can only make a first impression once and whether or not, uh, I went for my first job interview and he made me tie my own tie. He kept adjusting Mm. it, but he made me tie my first tie when I went for my first job interview in 1996.
1: Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. And they still live back in England? You said they're out here. Uh, They do
2: yep they are they uh each year they come out for about a month, six weeks, but uh, which they're currently with me right now, but yeah, they still live in England.
1: Oh okay okay, very cool. We talked about um when we talked about I don't remember what we we're talking about anyways, we were talking about cooking, of course, and you mentioned time, and I wanted to get your opinion on if you had to choose three herbs or spices for a year, what would they be?
2: Thyme is obviously one of them. There's nothing better than mushrooms, onions, and thyme sweating off in a pan. Um, Well, maybe add some bacon. But maybe add a little bit of bacon to it. But that smell, and like I said earlier on, thyme goes great with raspberries. It's something, it's an ingredient that can flip flop between sweet and savory. Um, Mm -hmm. Four spice. Four spice to me. I use it in the fall and in the winter in ginger cake or panda piece, which is um, a very kind of spiced bread that goes great with all fall, with celery root, with uh, sunchoke or Jerusalem artichoke, medjool date. Mm. Uh, It goes great with hearts of palm. And four spice is white pepper, clove, ginger, nutmeg. Some variations have uh, cinnamon in it cinnamon, um, present, but, uh, four spices would be my go-to one because you can use that in fall and winter. Um, okay. now the third one is up in the air. You can call it, I would call it a seasoning. And this is the reason why I'm saying this. I would call this a seasoning because herbs and spices are seasoning and my go-to would be honey.
1: Oh, interesting. Uh, okay.
2: Because honey is very versatile.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: We are very fortunate here at Farrington. Uh, we, we started a uh, bee program. We have four hives. Um, and we probably pull maybe close to 500 pounds a year out of these four hives. Wow.
1: Uh, wow. Honey is
2: a, depending on the year, it can, um, will determine the color. Uh, will determine the flavor, obviously, with um, what's, um, what what the bees are, are pollinating at that particular yeah. time. But honey is, I could say, I use it in so, ma- so, so many things, um, either it's in a dressing or it's in a sauce to sweeten it up a little bit, or when you're sick, honey's great. If you have allergies, if you have allergies, try and get your hands on local and I mean very local, honey to where you live because Mm. you can ingest it and that will help. It's not going to cure it, but that will help you build some tolerance to pollen that is local because the honey will be from local trees, bushes, shrubs, and if they affect you, in your allergies, then if you have that in the morning either on your breakfast or in your green tea or whatever you're going to do it, it will actually help you build up some tolerance.
1: Oh, interesting. I always heard that, but I didn't know the reason why. So that's kind of that's good information. Do you want to add another one to, that, to the list, or is that good?
2: Um, oh, um, as a spice, uh, as a herb, uh, I like marjoram. I love marjoram and potatoes. Um, it's a, it's not a widely used uh, herb, but I mm-hmm. I just marjoram. I mean, I could say rosemary, but rosemary is is. I mean, everyone knows about rosemary, but uh, marjoram and potatoes is a is a is a great combination, and um, it has it's kind of floral, but um, but it also has earthy tones to it. Um which which would be a great addition to most issues.
1: Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well we're we're getting getting towards the end here. I got one last question because I know you you gotta get off and, and get your stuff done too. And then I'll get to where we can get in touch with you. But my, my one last question is my challenge question and it's a catering question. And you receive a request to cater a dinner party for 25 guests with a budget of $500, about $20 a piece. And the menu is to include two hors d'oeuvres, two main courses, and a dessert. Describe the menu that you would create with this ginormous budget. Well, (laughs) am I close to
2: a vegetable garden?
1: Yes, you can Um, use whatever you want, whatever... Someone comes to you and says, "Chef Colin, this is the money I have, and I've got this many guests. What can we do?" Well, I think
2: I touched on one of my. I think I touched on one of my main courses earlier on, which would probably be short rib and mashed potatoes. Um, okay. Because in, in, if there was room in the budget, I might be able to squeeze a maybe a little bit of truffle. There's nothing better than um, braised meat mashed potatoes and truffle. Um mm-hmm. but like but like you touched on earlier on if it's a gathering if if it's if it's a party food I think sometimes can get overcomplicated and I think that's one 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 area which um chefs like to keep adding. It's I think knowing when to stop is probably one of the most important things I really do believe that food is a massive um, nostalgia. I think that even now when I walk into someone's home and they've got like a beef stew on the back of the stove or something, it will take me back to my childhood. Um, So one of the hors d'oeuvres that we do here, or that I would do, and we also do it here at Farrington, is a grilled cheese sandwich.
1: Oh, Um, interesting, okay
2: so if if I had access to the garden i 'd make a tomato chutney maybe and do a um, grilled cheese sandwich also um, we, all, we also have we make our own almost like Pringles, so we make our own potato chip with uh, potato and tapioca and we dry it out and deep fry it and then we serve it with some uh, whipped sour cream again something that i like I like people to be able to uh to um, tap into kind of what they know. Oh, that's kind of like a Pringle, or...
1: um,
2: Okay. And then fried chicken. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm a... Fried chicken, mac and cheese, um, which would come easily, easily into the budget. And then dessert, wow. What do I like for dessert? Um, I am a, like I mentioned earlier on, I'm a texture person. So uh-huh. one of my favourite one of my favorite desserts is something which is called eat a mess which eat a mess and it's a bowl of whipped cream um, with crushed up meringue inside of it um, berries, banana, uh, a little bit of vanilla, a little bit of um I like to put a little bit of zest in there,
1: mm-hmm. either
2: orange or lemon freshly cut herbs basil goes great with this and um you can either serve it in a brandy snap basket or you could just if you want even more texture you could just add it on top of a pavlova with some lemon curd
1: Oh wow, um, that's delicious
2: and then if for the ultimate i would add some shortbread cookies on the side of it because there's nothing better than dipping whipped cream and shortbread yeah
1: um, absolutely perfect that sounds amazing sounds amazing. well, how can people get in touch with you if then if you're on Facebook or Instagram or if you're ever not if you're ever but if you're um, showing people of your exploits of your training and then your races and that kind of stuff, where can people kind of follow you or get in touch with you
2: yeah it's um obviously facebook so, so social media um, it's uh Chef Colin Bedford is on social media, on Facebook. And then at Chef Bedford is Instagram, which, yes, you're correct. I do post pictures of training and food and kind of where I am, either in the country or the world. Um, Hopefully it's not too boring. Um, (laughs) But it is a a snapshot of uh, the lifestyle of a... Chef, which tries to get that life balance and training and try to cook nice food for people.
1: Perfect. Sounds like you've been doing a great job. If I'm ever out in you North Carolina, I'm going to stop by. we ever get out there. Please do. Please do. Yes. Chef Colin, thank you very much for your time. I appreciate it. I know you're a busy man with training and work and everything, and I just thank you very much for coming on, and I hope you have a great thank weekend. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you very Absolutely. much for having me. Good luck in your next uh, triathlon. Thank you very much. I appreciate right. it. You have a nice day. Thanks you, too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks, everyone, for joining me today. For all the show notes and all the information and links to the things we talked about today, go to AOAChef.com. You can follow me on Instagram and Facebook, and that's AOAChef as well. Thanks, everybody. Have a great day.